So here we are. Second day of retreat, and I think we are beginning to sense the grounding of the container that's been so thoughtfully, skillfully put together here for us. And uh, some people couldn't make it because of COVID issues. And even a couple of people had to leave because of health reasons. And uh, our retreat managers and team had to scramble and they did so nimbly and gracefully to meet the challenges of these conditions on the ground that just change all the time. Who would believe it? <laughs> we like predictability. We don't like surprises. So, everyone's contributions from the liturgy, the workmaster, the interview arrangements, all of these beautiful contributions to help us settle and trust that we can feel safe enough to, to let go the usual. Uh, the usual armor that we carry to get us through. And this is what we're doing. You know, I think as we struggle to come out of the pandemic, there are surprises, unwelcome surprises. One day someone's feeling fine and the next day they have symptoms. And I think with this, there is an increased sense of, of vulnerability that we're all experiencing. Vulnerability and unpredictability. And it seems to me that, you know, that, and then of course, all of the other issues, climate concerns that this time we're living in is a time of um, where the unpredictability is amplified. And 
out of this, the suffering that this engenders, we have to see that the chance for awakening is also amplified. So how is this? Well, you know, we're told that to be born human is a rare gift. How rare? So the image we're given is of a blind tortoise at the bottom of the ocean, and it surfaces every thousand years. And there's a a wooden log bobbing up and down in the ocean. So when the the turtle meets the wood, that's the chances of a human birth. And so, in fact, being born, we've already won the lottery because it's, we're also told that it's only in the human realm that we have this capacity to hear the teachings, understand the teachings, and to know for ourselves the truth of suffering and impermanence, which allows us to to realize our essential nature, of which it is said, when we're born, nothing is added. And when we die, nothing is taken away. And to fully get that is to live a life Uh, that can be free in all circumstances. That's the promise. They also say that in one second, our life is born and dies 70,000 times. So in the space of 24 hours, we are born and die trillions, trillions of times. And yet we see that all of our efforting goes to achieving some degree of continuity and stability, even certainty, as we navigate between the twin poles of pleasure and pain. trying to magnetize one, our comfort, and to avoid pain. And that's how we spend our moments, isn't it? So that really all of our attempts to to resist change are really 
ways of undoing this, this vulnerability. And that causes us to move away from our moment-to-moment experience. Push it away when it's not appealing. And look for something to replace it. And in so doing, we we lose contact with ourselves with our own precious being, which can only uh, take place here. We can only have in this moment. So we go looking for something to, to reassure us, to confirm us, to comfort us. We can blame our circumstances for not giving us what we need, or we can even turn against ourselves for not being more successful at manifesting what we need. So when we come on retreat, we We're giving them the, the chance, the opportunity to see to what extent we've actually abandoned ourselves. And there can be a sense, I think, of righteous grief over that. One of the things they say about being around someone who's awake is that you feel more wakeful yourself. Every cell of your being comes alive in their presence. But this can be unsettling. but refer to it as bare bottoms touching ice. Because with someone like this, we can feel how automatic the behaviors that run our persona are, you know, how they take us over without our having any say in the matter. And that leaves us with a longing to connect to our actual self, which seems somehow kind of undeveloped and lost. And this is the sense I get of what it would have been like to be around Lehman Pong. Roshi gave us a beautiful introduction 
to this man who just seemed full of life, fearless. And how important his role in showing us that you didn't have to be a monk to realize your true nature, to achieve that liberation. So over and over we see him puncturing any forms of pretentiousness or self-importance. He was interested in one thing and one thing only, and that was the liberation that the teachings offer. A liberation that allows us to respond creatively to the exigencies of the moment as they change. And such that we we're not so reliant on the fictions that our minds create in order to keep us in this predictable, albeit mechanical, universe that we inhabit. And he didn't seem to pass on any opportunity to interrogate Uh, these mechanical behaviors, wherever he found them. Um, so that even a monk on his begging rounds was fair game. As case 48, or the sayings 48, illustrate, this is a dialogue with a monk doing ritual begging. So presumably the ritual begging means that um, it wasn't like in India at the time of the Buddha when the monks did for a time really depend on what was given to them in their bowls. They had one meal a day, which had to be eaten before noon. Uh, but I think by eighth century China, then Buddhism was doing very, very well. It was actually kind of a powerful cultural, political, and economic force in its own right. So this was a this was a, a, a ceremonial ritual way of, you know, continuing the tradition. But I think we can see he was he would probably go home and have his bowl of gruel, or back to the monastery and have his bowl of gruel. Um, at any rate, so here's the, here's the story. The layman was selling his bamboo wares in the market in the town of Hongchu when he saw a monk on his ritual bagging rounds. The layman held out a coin for him saying, can you tell me about the teaching of not being ungrateful for 
whatever is handed out to you. If you can say something, I will give you this coin. The monk didn't reply. So the layman said, okay, you ask me the question and I'll answer it for you. And the monk said, well, what is the teaching of not being ungrateful for what is handed out to you? The layman said, hardly anyone can accept it. Then he added, do you understand? Monk said, I don't. The layman said, who is it that hasn't understood? So that's it. I think it's quite delicious. So here we have this monk who had committed to a life of non-attachment, symbolized by uh, having no earthly possessions other than the robe on his back in the begging bowl. And the practice of begging here, even though it's ceremonial, is it was designed to to learn acceptance, humility, non-attachment, all difficult virtues, to accept what one is given so that by extension one could find freedom in all circumstances, regardless of what's happening. And as we know, this is a hard practice as it flies in the face of a self that's conditioned by clinging, holding on to our comfort, what gives us comfort, makes us feel good, and aversion, pushing away what we don't like. So these are instinctive in us. And So we have the monk who has committed to practicing with these, uh, these in instincts. And yet he doesn't seem very receptive to the question, can you tell me about the teachings about not being ungrateful for what one has handed out? So maybe he didn't know how to answer. We don't know. But my suspicion is that layman Pong approached him because he saw that the monk was actually not present to his surroundings, but it was in the grip of some kind of state of mind. He wasn't at peace with himself, maybe an expression on his face betrayed some inner feeling of frustration, dissatisfaction, and that by approaching him, Le Man Pong was 
helping him to come out of this trance he found himself in, you know, which we can all relate with. We fall into these mindsets that are, uh, are very righteous and we're very convinced of the validity of our thoughts. And so what Lehman Pong was doing reminds me of what life can do for us. It sometimes drops things into our laps that get our attention. And we realized what extent we'd been on automatic pilot, not quite present. And this can happen to monks. It can happen in a monastery. I had my own experience uh, many years ago in session when I was living at the monastery. I think it was about six months after my, my mother had died, which was when I moved in. And um, I don't think I had fully grieved her passing, which was sudden. It was in Ireland, and I mean, I got to the funeral and the rest of it, but I think there was some part of me that was quite numb. So here I was sitting, and uh, the monitor was doing the round of Kiyosaku, the awakening stick, which I think we've retired, have we? <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. Um, so I must have had pain in my shoulders or something, but I requested the Kiyosaku. And uh, the, the monitor gave me such a whack that my body stung and uh, tears swelled um, in my eyes, which then prompted this avalanche that continued to the end of the period and continued through the noon service. And I decided to skip lunch. And then after lunch, there's a knock on the door the head monk had requested my presence at work lunch crew, the cleaning up. And I come down and a broom is thrust into my hands and I find myself sweeping the floor, my eyes blurred by the tears and the snot. <laughs> and it's interesting what we remember, but it's, it's like only in a Zen monastery, when you're coming apart at the seams, are you handed a broom and told to sweep the floor. You know, when I think about it now, I think, well, maybe that was the teaching of about having your feelings and functioning you know, because we often fall on one side or the other. We have our feelings and we collapse, or we 
stoically, you know, stamp, you know, tamp down our feelings in order to be able to function. Another way of looking at it, I think, is that falling apart is the very best thing you can do at a Zen monastery. It's actually what you're supposed to do. And there was a normalizing of just that. That whatever it is that holds us together, uh, this is what we want to loosen up. This is what we want to dismantle. You know, in a way, it's a, it's a deconstruction. It's a dismantling process. So, of course, the ego tends to feel, you know, really what I need is positions and titles and fancy this and the other to affirm me. But actually, the spiritual path is to let go, to let go, to let go of it all. Um, Because it's only in it's only in that sense of penetrating into nothingness, into our into the core of who we are, that um, we can discover that which is indestructible. Only out of our nothingness can we realize the fact that we are everything. So, in a way, Lehman Pong is offering himself as an awakening stick to this monk. asking him to, to see what it was he was not able to, to be with. So what is it about the teaching of not being ungrateful? Hardly anyone can accept it. Do you understand? No, I don't. Who is it who hasn't understood? Who is it who's unable to accept what I'm experiencing at this moment. Who is it that ordains? No, it should be something else. I should be, shouldn't be feeling this pain in the knee. I shouldn't be feeling this sleepiness. I shouldn't be feeling this boredom, this anger, this resistance. I shouldn't be struggling. All those voices that basically reject what's here in my moment-to-moment -moment experience. So 
he's asking him to, to investigate what's not allowing him to interrogate this mindset that he's in, or this lack of curiosity, you know, as Joanne said, can we be curious? Can we just be curious? The Korean Zen people have, their practice is simply at each moment, the question, what's this? What's this? Not looking for any answer, but the question itself that keeps us awake. There was a quote from uh, Don Juan, remember in the 70s, Carlos Castaneda, teachings of Carlos Castaneda. He said, only as a spiritual warrior can one withstand the path of knowledge. A warrior cannot complain or regret anything. His life is an endless challenge. And challenges cannot possibly be good or bad. Challenges are simply challenges. The basic difference between an ordinary man and a warrior is that a warrior takes everything as a challenge while an ordinary man takes everything as a blessing or a curse. Remember when I asked uh, Joko Beck whether a teacher was necessary? She said, it all depends on whether you can allow, allow life to be your teacher. And uh, I knew then, of course, I had a hard time, as I said, dealing with the common cold. So I guess I needed a teacher. You know, Buddhism has this wheel of life icon depicting the various mindsets or realms that we cycle through in the course of minutes or hours or days. I'm certainly familiar with every single one of them. Uh, getting with the hell realm, Anger, hungry ghost realm, poor me, feeling of deprivation, they all get, I don't get. The animal realm, where I just want to get comfortable till lunchtime. So I'll hang out in this little corner here. This seems okay and gutted through until 
to lunch. <laughs> the uh, jealous God realm, this need to be on top of things, successful. And the godly realm, where actually I'm so blissed out and comfortable. It's like, what? What world? <laughs> what pain? What suffering? And then the human realm, you see, back to the human realm and why it's so important. It's because it's only in the human realm that we can experience both the joys and the sorrows, and that we can be curious. The animal realm is not curious. It just wants what it wants, and don't bother me. Don't uh, give me any surprises. I just want to stay in my... But the human realm is the one that raises questions, that can say, what is this? The human realm is the one that can stay aware of what it is I'm thinking and experiencing and, and witness it. The human realm is the one that can recognize that all of um, my afflictions are portals. They're portals of entry. Into the sweetness that is at the core and that we get tastes of all of what we see here in this environment that's being created, the beauty and sweetness and love, that this is what we're made of. Um, but that our, we forget because of uh, what we believe, what our minds tell us about us. So we have to see that Whatever is here in each moment is the only moment, is the only thing that can be here. Given all of what we're a part of. And um, and the challenge is to, to bow to it. So let's um, let's enjoy and appreciate this great privilege of being human, of having heard the teachings and having placed practice 
and realize them. Thank you.